0: Good morning, everyone. Good to be back. Had a couple of weeks' holidays, which was very refreshing. I tried to take about a week or ten days at the beginning of August, and it was one of those vacations. I don't know whether you've had a vacation where it just didn't take. You know, like you try to go away, and then the phone rings, and then something happens, and you get pulled back in, and it's like you're really trying to make this vacation work, and it just didn't work. So, But this vacation worked. It was great. two weeks. Fantastic! A week in Mont Tremblant, and uh, and then sometimes spending some time with my mom, which was which was fantastic, uh, down near London. Uh, As was mentioned today, we're we're kicking off a new series in the Book of Philippians, and I anticipate about eight eight weeks uh, studying this four chapter letter. And uh, I know that not everyone has been placed in every life group just yet, and that's okay. Some groups may be meeting this week as kind of a social get-together, and others are not. So this week is just kind of a soft launch. It's not, you're not missing out if you're not in a group yet. Next week will be the official week one. And uh, I heard from Allison that we have like something like 100 people in life groups, more than 100 people in life groups. So let's just keep that number growing, because that's great. That's fantastic. Uh, that's where uh, discipleship really takes place, and uh, and you share your Christian life together. Um, when I normally do a book series, we start off with a bit of an overview, and that's what I'm going to do today with the first few chapters of the book to set the context um, and to understand the the city and the audience and the writer and the circumstances of the letter being written. And uh, it's a very practical way to dig into a book like Philippians. But it turns out too that it's also a great foundation for the teaching that we're going to take from verses 1 to 7 today as well, which is very appropriate to thanksgiving, because this is really how Paul opens his letter, is in thanksgiving. And uh, so I think we'll see many applications today. And primarily what what we're looking at when we get to the application part is the right place for Christian thanksgiving, the right source, the right object, the right subject, the right foundation for Christian thanksgiving. Uh, So let's dig in, and I'll just pray before we open God's Word. Father God, we thank you for your Word, for your Scripture, for what the Holy Spirit has provided to us through uh, these faithful writers who were carried along by your Spirit as they wrote. And so, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work now, even this morning, that we would know what it is that you would have us learn. And what we would discover about you, what we would discover about ourselves, and how we can be transformed by your Holy Spirit and by your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So it's Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So we get a lot of context, as you usually do from Paul's letters, you get a lot of context right from the first few verses. We see the letter begins with a very typical greeting where the author and the recipients are identified. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So Paul is with Timothy, and uh, he's the uh, writer, and the audience that he has in mind is all of the Christians in the city of Philippi, or what we would commonly call the Church of Philippi. Um, and he specifically includes the overseers and the elders, the deacons and those being the two offices of the church governance. And and Paul doesn't always do that in his letter. He doesn't always include the elders and the deacons. And so right away you get an injection of the feeling of this letter that it's sort of like an official response or an official letter to the church. And as we'll see in this in future weeks, the letter has a sort of a blended nature of both Paul's missionary report to the church of what's going on, um, but as well as instruction and concern for the church. And so he's speaking to the people and to the offices of governance Now, the Paul here, of course, is the Apostle Paul, and I won't go into a great deal of detail on him. I'm trusting most of you are pretty familiar with who the Apostle Paul is. Now, he's important to the church at Philippi because he planted this church on his second missionary journey from Antioch, and so he has a very special relationship with it. This is one of his churches. To set this in church history, it's about the year 51 AD. Paul had an argument with his initial um, principal... Um, partner, Barnabas, over one of their helpers, Mark. And uh, after he and Barnabas had this argument, uh, they agreed to part ways. Paul left Antioch uh, with Silas and Timothy and Luke, and he plans to visit Asia. He wants to go to Asia, and Asia is not China and East for them. Asia is the west coast of Turkey. But Actually, what happens is the Spirit prevents him from going to Asia and instead calls him north to Macedonia. And we see that in Acts 16. He says, Setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we remained in this city for some days. I just, again, I want to give you a little more context here, so we'll see if this works. Oh, it did work. Okay, great. So you can see here, hopefully, on the map, I can like zoom around and stuff here. Cool, right? So he was here in Antioch. There he is in Antioch, just above Israel. And he left there, and he traveled all the way across. It's not a short distance that Paul was traveling. Traveled all through Turkey, and he was going to go to Asia, which is like this area down here. But instead, he goes north, and he goes to Troas, and he leaves Troas, and he goes over to Philippi. And so that's the context, right? And if you're confused, I'll show you the boot, right? Everybody knows the boot. That's Italy, okay? So now you know where he is. Now can I get back? That's the trick. Oh, I can. Great. (laughs) Okay, so this is around 51 AD. Paul and Barnabas have had their falling out. He's on his second missionary journey. That's the trip that he makes. He ends up in Philippi. And his time in Philippi is short, but it's very exciting, Paul's time in Philippi. When when he gets there, and you can read about this in Acts, he, he meets Lydia by the river... God opens up her heart to the gospel. The church starts meeting in Lydia's house, and so the church is planted. There's a slave girl that's possessed by a spirit of divination, and she's following Paul around for days while he preached, declaring him to be a servant of God, and that he's preaching salvation, which is a great message, but obviously to Paul, very annoying, because he uh, eventually casts out the spirit from this girl, and that causes the owners of the slave girl to be upset because they profited from her, and so they beat him up and throw the them in jail. And then you cue the earthquake. That's what happened in jail in Philippi. The chains fall off. The door is open. The guard wants to kill himself. He panics, but he's converted instead of killed. And uh, it's an exciting church already, right? I mean, there's some cool people in this church right away. And, uh, and then finally... Uh, the magistrates try to silently let Paul go. He says, no, I'm a Roman citizen. This is an embarrassment for you. You need to come and apologize, and I will go away quietly after you do it publicly. Um, And so then Paul leaves town, and it's only been a few weeks that he's been there, maybe even just a few days that he's been in Philippi. But all of this happens, and he has this church planted in Lydia's house. And he very likely leaves Luke behind in Philippi um, to uh, look after that church. Because he's departing so quickly, Luke stays behind and uh, helps plant that church and get it started. And there's uh, some reasons why we we believe that in the language of the book of Acts, as Luke writes. Uh, He starts talking about we or us in relation to the group uh, and talks about them. And then when they return to Philippi, he starts talking about we and us again, and so that's why we think Luke stayed at Philippi. So even though he didn't spend much time with them, Philippi, you have to understand, always supported Paul's ministry financially, and they were a key church in keeping him on the road and meeting the needs of other churches and other ministries. They were a very giving church, this church in Philippi. But but that's in AD 51. That's how the church was planted, the occasion for writing this letter, as we get into it, we understand he's, he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi about 10 to 12 years after the events of Acts 16. And he's in prison, very likely in Rome, possibly Caesarea, and Timothy is with him, and it isn't exactly clear which city prison he's writing from. It's also not terribly important. Nothing changes in the content or meaning of the letter, whether he's in Rome or whether he's in Caesarea. But uh, he's in prison, that's the key thing, and it's about a decade or more later. Emperor Claudius is out, Nero is in, if that helps you with history, and Nero is the emperor that will ultimately execute Paul. And that's important context. Paul's in prison, he senses his ministry time is near to an end, it may be that his life is near to an end, and he will touch on those topics in Philippians as we go through it. Now, why all this background? Why all this context? It's important that we sort of just stop for a moment and digest the context of the letter. They're not just dry historical points of data. The context that we're given are important because we won't really understand what Paul is conveying to us through this letter unless we understand the situation he's writing the letter out of and what he's choosing to emphasize. And from where and what condition he writes and to whom he writes. And so we sort of lean into just pausing and imagining Paul. He's in prison. He's not in prison for the first time. The Philippians know about Paul in prison because, and it, it may be a point of some embarrassment for them, their city threw him in prison too the first time he showed up. And so the Philippians are sort of sympathetic to Paul being in prison. Maybe that's why they've been so supportive of his missionary work. Could you imagine if Billy Graham came to Halliburton and our city officials threw him in jail for a week or so? We would be kind of embarrassed on his behalf, and then when they had to let him go without pressing charges, you know, we may add him to our mission team you know, for the next 5, 10, 15 years. You know, just sorry about the jail time in Halliburton, Billy. Um <laughs> You know, so I don't know. I'm just speculating on human motivation here. Uh, the Bible doesn't say that. Paul doesn't bring it up. But maybe the Philippians just felt bad for Paul getting thrown in jail while he was in town. But, he, but he's sitting in prison. And he, he's obviously aware of his circumstances. He has the idea that his ministry and his life may be near to an end. It's, it's been probably a year, maybe more. He spent at least two years in prison in Caesarea and a similar amount of time in Rome. But more importantly, he's thinking about these faithful friends in Philippi. So he's sitting there in prison, and he's thinking about his friends in Philippi who he's going to write a letter to. And he's been on missionary journeys and planting churches and spreading the gospel and training young pastors for over a decade now. It's been 10, 11, 12, 13 years that he's been doing this, since he met Lydia. And they've been supporting him all those years, partnering with him in the gospel mission, During times of plenty and during times of poverty. 2 Corinthians 8, Paul says the churches of Macedonia suffered economic tragedy and hardship and they just kept giving all through their terrible ordeal. Philippi kept giving. And they're still supporting him as he's spending all this time in prison. He's not even out preaching and planting churches. He's just sitting in prison and they're still supporting him. And so you just sort of digest that reality and you put yourself in Paul's place and you consider his circumstances and the time that has passed and the peaks and the valleys of his life and his ministry and the nearness of his death. And it's applicable today that as we consider the very first thing Paul has to say to them as he sits in his prison. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine. For you are making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This is Paul's Thanksgiving day in prison. He is so thankful for Philippi. He's so joyful. And he gives thanks as he sits down to write this letter from prison. And we can start unpacking his thankfulness with the source that it begins with. We start with the source of Paul's thanksgiving. He says, I thank my God. Paul doesn't waste any time sorting out the priority of his thanksgiving. Yes, he's writing to the church in Philippi, and yes, I'm sure he's very thankful to them that they have supplied for them. He may even want to thank them for their support. Maybe they're even expecting Paul to thank them for being so faithful. Hey, we got a letter from Paul. Here comes the accolades. Paul's going to thank us. But he doesn't thank them. He thanks God as he remembers them. That's not a Not subtle difference. He's not thanking the Philippians, he's thanking God as he remembers the Philippians. And we're going to unpack a little later. As grateful as Paul may be for his Philippian friends, they're not the source of his thankfulness. God is. Paul's thanksgiving points away from the people and points towards God. But he doesn't stop there. He says that he thanks God as he remembers them because of their partnership in the gospel. So Paul doesn't just point away from them, he points away from himself. Again, you you might expect Paul to say, I thank you for partnering with me. But he doesn't say, I thank you for partnering with me. He says, I thank God for this gospel mission and how it's going forward. And so Paul's thankfulness is pointing away from the Philippians and it's pointing away from itself, it's pointing towards God. Because Paul knows this is the source of my thankfulness. It's not in the Philippians and it's not in me. He's pointing away from the church, and he's pointing away from himself, and he's pointing his thankfulness towards God and the gospel. And that gives us a clue, as Christians, as disciples, where the source of our thankfulness needs to come from. Paul's keen to direct his thankfulness to the true source. God is the one Paul is thankful to, for both the church and for the mission. It's not the people, it's not him, it's God. Now, for our part, as we think of our own thankfulness, we can get caught being thankful more towards people than towards God. We can get caught being thankful for God's blessings rather than thankful for the provider of the blessing. The Apostle Paul isn't going to fall for that. He sets the tone right off the bat in this letter. God is the ultimate source of blessing that Paul receives, and even those blessings are not really for him, only in that they further the mission, And as you think about the joy and thankfulness that you have for the blessings of God, we have to be careful to see past those things to the God who provides them and supplies them. Paul sees past the Philippians to the God who provided the Philippian church. Paul sees past his own work to the mission of the gospel that God is accomplishing. As we are blessed with material things, we have to see past their purpose of simply bringing us satisfaction to the gospel mission, to the kingdom purpose that those blessings have flowed to us for. Whatever you have that God has blessed you with, He's expecting you to use that for gospel mission. So that's the source of Paul's thanksgiving, it is God. But there is an earthly object Of Paul's thanksgiving. There's a a place where he puts his thanksgiving. Even though God is the ultimate source of Paul's thankfulness and joy, there's an earthly reason that he's giving thanks. And as Paul sits in prison, it becomes apparent that the object of Paul's thanksgiving is not his circumstances, which is prison. It's the people of Philippi and the gospel mission that he's thankful for. Sitting in prison, Paul can give thanks and be full of joy as he's sitting there in the worst kind of circumstance, because he knows he's part of a church and he has a kingdom purpose in his gospel-spreading mission. Now, Paul isn't thankful to be in prison. I don't think Paul would sit there and say, wow, I'm so glad I'm in prison. He's not thankful for his circumstances. He's thankful that he has a church that is God and gospel-minded. So then we think about what are the objects of our thankfulness? is the object of our thankfulness like Paul our fellow Christians the believers we live alongside and minister with day in and day out despite our circumstances is it our church and the gospel purpose that God has given us is that where our thankfulness lies or are we or are the objects of our thankfulness far more often our circumstances We're really thankful to God when things are good, when our circumstances work out. That's what we are happiest about. But Paul does not express his thankfulness that way. He's not thankful because of his circumstance. He's not even paying attention to his circumstance. His thankfulness, the object of his circumstances here on earth, is that God put him in a church and that he is the support of Christian friends who are on mission with him in the gospel. So when you're having your Thanksgiving table discussion about what's thankful, you know, sometimes it's, you know, thank God I'm not in prison. Maybe that is something to be thankful about. But we think, thank God we're not at war, and we are thankful that we're not at war. Thank God we're healthy. Thank God I can pay the bills. Thank God I can live comfortably. Thank God I live in Canada. Not that it's wrong to thank God for his blessings. Paul himself is going to say in chapter 4 that he has learned to be content and thankful in plenty and also content in poverty. But the earthly object of Christian thankfulness is not our circumstances. It's not the fact that everything is going good and we live in a good country. The root and object of Christian thankfulness, and this will be hard to believe for some people is that you belong to a church with other Christians and you have Christian family and Christian community who are on gospel mission with you. That's what we're thankful for because our circumstances will change. Our circumstances, as I look out over here, our circumstances are all over the map right now with all of you. Our health will change. Our country will change. Our finances will change. Our circumstances will change. Like Paul says, will be plenty and poverty at any given moment, but Paul is not focused on the circumstances. The object of his thankfulness is the church of Philippi, his Christian friends, and that God has given us fellowship and partnership with Christians, and he's given us the mission of the gospel. That's what Paul is thankful for, that he's part of a church that's devoted to gospel mission as he is. So we have the source, we have the object. It leads to the subject of Paul's thankfulness. What is Paul thankful about with these people? He says, because of your partnership, koinonia, in the gospel from the first day until now. Ah, yes, koinonia. For those of you who may be newer to the faith or newer to the church or maybe it's just due to your age, you may not know that the Greek word koinonia has been a little bit butchered over the years in the church, namely the 70s and 80s, to the point that it's really lost its true meaning. Some of us a little bit older can probably remember and maybe use the term koinonia to mean something like fellowship or community. Lots of churches back in the 70s and 80s had a koinonia hall or a koinonia room where you met for fellowship and shaking hands and talking, or they had koinonia friendship groups And the word sort of took on this kind of warm and fuzzy, you know, kumbaya sort of feel to it, like we're all singing, it only takes a spark around a campfire or something. And so koinonia has kind of got a bad rap over the last few decades. But here's the problem with that understanding of koinonia. It doesn't really mean that. And so translators have started to choose new words in English Bibles for it, and virtually every time Paul uses the word koinonia, he uses it properly to describe people who share in the cost of their mission or the suffering that they endure as they identify with Jesus. Paul is always talking about koinonia in terms of financial support or physical suffering. You see that in Romans 15, 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, Romans 12, Galatians 6, Philippians 4:15. Whenever Paul talks about koinonia, he's talking about sacrificial giving and suffering in the identity of Christ. And it would be great if we had a koinonia room, if that's what people thought koinonia meant when they went in fellowship there. That we have fellowship, we have partnership, we have community, but only in the sacrificial giving and suffering and bearing burdens of each other. Koinonia is not experienced at a church potluck. Koinonia is experienced when we give sacrificially to the gospel mission, when we share in each other's suffering and pour out our lives in the advancement of the gospel. Now, why is that important? Because this is the subject of Paul's thanksgiving. This is what he's happy about. This is what he's joyful about. This is what he thanks God for, is that these people are in true partnership with him. They're not just friends. They're not just people he has over for dinner. They're not just people that get together for a potluck. They're not just people that feel good when they're together. They are people that pour out their finances, their prayer, their suffering, and their burden-bearing for him. And he finds joy in that true fellowship of the Philippian church, not just thoughts and prayers that are sent his way in prison, but costly given and shared suffering. Philippian fellowship is costly, and it's active, and it's advancing the gospel, and it's serving people in distant and dark places that the Philippians can't be, but Paul is, just like the Bravos are in Central America. We can't be there, but they can. And so our koinonia with them is that we will help bear their burdens and we will give sacrificially so that they can fill up what is lacking in our ministry to Central America. This is what Paul is giving thanks over. As he sits in prison, he knows the cost of ministry and he knows he's got friends at his back who aren't going to let him down. Now, who wouldn't want a church like that? How can, how can we apply that thought, as I just have, to our missions globally and locally? How can we apply that to our ministry? How do we apply that to the people that we're sitting beside and across the room from this morning? How do we apply it to our life groups? What is koinonia going to be for us? Paul is so thankful that he has this Philippian church. This Philippian church that is in with him. They got his back. They are all in. It's not just a social club. This is ministry, and this is commitment. And that's why Paul can be so thankful as he sits in a jail cell, because he knows he's got all these churches, all these, Christian, all these Christian friends, koinonia, who have his back. And if that was us, if that was our church, who wouldn't be thankful to have a church like that at your back? Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Who wouldn't want to be that for each other? That's what Paul's calling the church to. That's what Paul is demonstrating here in his thankfulness. But that leads us to why Paul is so confident in his thanksgiving and why he's so confident in the Philippians and why he's so confident in this koinonia support. There is an unshakable foundation behind Paul's thanksgiving, which we learn in the following verses. As he's overflowing with thankfulness and joy in the partnership of his Christian friends who share in his suffering and ministry, he then immediately seems to sort of jarringly change topic. There's almost a non-sequitur going from verse 5 to verse 6, because instead of talking about joy and partnership and fellowship with all these amazing Christians in Philippi, Paul just drops right into an absolute stunner of a statement on God's sovereignty. It's like record scratch. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. What does God's sovereign faithfulness to the Philippian salvation have to do with Paul's thanksgiving and joy? And why he's so sure of that fellowship. Why he's so sure of that koinonia. Why he's so sure of their partnership and support. Because it's God's faithfulness that makes Paul's thankfulness certain. Paul says he is sure, he's certain of one thing. This good thing, this great thing that God has going on with the Philippians is not going to disappoint. This mission, this partnership, this work of grace and the gospel that he shares with them is guaranteed to be fruitful in the Philippians. God is not going to disappoint. God is going to bring the Philippians to the finish line, guaranteed. And that's why Paul can be so confident in his joy and his thankfulness, because it isn't based on his circumstances, and it isn't even based on the Philippian church or in their partnership. It isn't based on how deep their pockets is. His joy and his thankfulness ultimately have their foundation in God's faithfulness. That's why he can be so sure because God's going to complete the work in Philippi. He's going to complete the work of his mission. He is not going to disappoint. And so Paul says, "I am sure of this. This is going to be great." Cuz Paul's not going to let any of us because God's not going to let any of us down. And so that's why he starts out thanking God in the beginning. He says, "I thank God." He's not thanking the Philippians cuz it's not ultimately them. For Christians, God is the foundation of our joy. God is the reason we can give thanks without ceasing or even worrying about whether we will need to cease, because God is going to complete his work in us, and he's going to complete his gospel mission. And Paul basically affirms his theology and his emotions in verse 7 for emphasis. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel." It's interesting. Paul basically says, This is the right way for me to feel. This is the right way for disciples of Jesus to give thanks. This is the right way for Christians to feel. All Christians should feel this way. It's right. We should feel the thankfulness that God has given us koinonia in the church, that God has given us a fellowship of believers where, despite our circumstances, we find joy in thanksgiving. In the fellowship of the church, no matter what else is going on in our lives, we can come here, and we know that brothers and sisters have our back. And they are with us on this. And they're with us on gospel mission. And it's right to feel that way about the church. And it's right to feel that way about God's people. Now, maybe it's Paul's turn to be a little bit embarrassed. Because this letter is really going to overflow with affection. Paul just really loves these people. And it it almost feels like in verse 7, he's almost defending himself. He says, it's right for me to feel this way. I know I'm getting a little emotional about all of you, and man, I love you so much, and I'm so thankful for you. But it's not wrong, okay? It's right for me to feel this way. I'm not making an idol out of you, Philippians. I'm not putting my hope in you. I'm not putting my hope in your finances. I'm not putting my hope in the wrong place. I'm not doing anything offside here. It's right for me to feel this way because my love and my thankfulness for you is looking through you towards a God who's faithful. And he's the source of our joy. And he's the source of our thanksgiving and our confidence. Do we see our church the way Paul sees his church? Right? Do we see our fellow Christians the way Paul sees his fellow Christians? The rightness of loving them and finding our joy in them? Man, Paul is painting a picture here. Do you love the brothers and sisters that are around you? Do you know that it is right for you to love them and be thankful for them and to take joy in them and to pray for them and to boast a little bit about them and to gush a little bit about them like they're your crush? Tell your coworkers, tell your neighbors, you've got to meet these people at Halliburton. Right? That would be Paul. He'd be like, you've got to get to Philippi. You've got to meet these people. They are amazing. I love them so much. Right? Do you, do, you, do you understand how right it is for you to feel koinonia community here in this place? That these people have your back and you should have joy and thankfulness in them? And then secondly, like Paul, do you regularly look through the joy of fellowship with your church? Do you look through the joy of your close-knit life group and Christian friends and community to see God in and through them? to see God faithfully bringing them to the finish line, even if they stumble sometimes. The Philippians stumble. Paul's going to call out a couple of people in the Philippian church in this letter for for not behaving exactly the way they should. It's not all roses, but do you see God through the people? Do you see the faithfulness of God through the people around you in church, that he is faithful to bring them to completion, that he is pouring out grace in their lives? If you're part of a church just because it satisfies your social need, And your love for your friends is because your friends are so great? Here's the problem with that kind of thankfulness and that kind of joy. And we've talked about this a lot. A, you're eventually going to be disappointed because the best church group will let you down. And B, it's idolatry because we don't put our hope and we don't find our joy ultimately in people, but in the God who has given us those people. We're meant to see God through our church fellowship the way Paul does. The Apostle Paul's sitting in prison again. Likely his second year there. He doesn't know if he's going to get out of prison. He's not even sure if he'll still be alive in a few months. You can see that in verse 23. But as he starts writing this letter, it's going to be a day of thanksgiving for Paul. Not because of his circumstances. Not because his friends in Philippi have deep pockets and can pay his way. Not because he knows things are going to get better. Paul is thankful to God for a church family, for Christian friends who are committed to him and committed to gospel mission. That is the source of his thankfulness through and through and through. The right place for disciples to find joy is in Christian community, in the fellowship, in the partnership that God has placed us in together as a church. The Christians you know and worship with, that you serve alongside with in your ministries, that you are on mission with to reach this community and the world for the gospel, these people around you, again, I know some of you are skeptical, these people are the source of your joy and thankfulness. That's a right way to feel. That is a right thing for disciples to lean into. Paul says, I am right to feel this way. It is good that you find joy and thankfulness as you meditate on as you think about not your circumstances, not how God has blessed you, but how you belong to a family that God has planted you in. And you can count on these people that you see around you, not because they are faithful, but because God is at work to faithfully bring to completion what he has begun in them. He will get us to the finish line. And what God is doing in his people and mission is going to succeed. And it is right for us to find our joy and thankfulness in those things let's pray father god we thank you for your word we thank you for the example of the apostle paul he knew what it was to have plenty he knew what it was to have poverty and yet his joy his thankfulness was so firmly rooted in your sovereignty and faithfulness and so firmly directed at his fellow believers the church, the disciples, the friends, the Christians that had his back. Father God, may that be true of us. As we think about all the things we're thankful for, yes, family, you know, yes, this country, yes, our houses, yes, your provision, yes, our health, yes, your faithfulness in those things, but Lord, make us more thankful for the church family you've put us in. Make us more thankful for the gospel mission you've put us on. Give us a greater sense of joy and thankfulness that we have brothers and sisters that may not seem like it every day, but I absolutely guarantee you have have your back. Brothers and sisters, Christians, we got your back. Nobody wants you to fail. That's what God has given us. And that's what we're thankful for as Paul was. In Christ's name, amen.